Welcome back to Seriously Funny. I'm your host, Mashnor Kabir, and I listen to Lo-Fi. This week, we talk about one of the hardest lessons that I've been forced to learn over my years. This is a lesson that kind of sucks to learn. It's like learning about climate change and how we're destroying the world. It's not exactly fun, but it's true. And if we learn it and feel bad now, we can save ourselves a lot of pain later, or at least so we hope. And so uh, this week I got a haircut. You can see that if you can see that. If you're watching this, thank you. Go go listen. Oh wait, if you're wa- if you're listening to this, thank you. Uh, if you're if you're watching this, go listen. YouTube doesn't pay me, okay? But Anchor, they do. So go listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Or you know what? Go watch on YouTube because I work hard on it. I don't care either way, really. Thanks for watching. Anyways, PC is also done. It has an Intel i5-12600K, 12th gen Alder, like Intel chip. That's a Lian Li 240mm Galahad cooler in black. There's a streamer cables for the motherboard extensions. Uh, 32 gigabytes of Trident G-Skill 3600CL, I want to say 10 it might be CL16 RAM. Um, I only got 32 gigabytes really just because I wanted to fill the four slots. That that was really the reason. And then, uh, of course, the piece de resistance is the EVGA RTX 3080. Uh, finally, the MSRP cost came back. And so it was under 900 bucks. Uh, I got it on Newegg because I went to order it from EVGA, but their shipping was like 70 bucks and Newegg had free shipping. I have no idea why, but uh, all in the... Lian Li Landcool 205 mesh, I believe. Uh, yeah, it's pretty great, pretty nice. My friend helped me do some undervolting and overclocking, and we, we got it to good temperatures with really good performance, and I'm pretty happy with where it is. I'm not, I don't remember what, what frequency the the uh, chip is running at. I think it's 4 point something gigahertz, and then uh, the card... Also a bit undervolted and overclocked, but the temperatures are great. It runs Genshin perfectly, which is the biggest thing I need. Runs Apex really well. I'm at like 140 frames uh, in firing range. I haven't actually played a game game. And then Cyberpunk, it also runs that fairly well, like 50 to 50 to 80 frames, which that's with everything turned up, RTX on, like the, the graphics are just pumped really effing high. So I don't expect that many effing frames. I should probably turn some things down because there's some things I don't care about. But anyways, that's for later. But yeah, I love the RGB, love the colors, everything. Motherboard is really good. The cables, I think, were managed generally well. Uh, there's some that stick out, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, and yeah, overall, pretty super duper happy with it. And, uh, you know, hopefully when school starts, I'm able to use it somewhat instead of just being busy all day. But, you know, we will see. But yeah, when the podcast, maybe we should do that. Today, I also made double brewed coffee. This is kind of nice. So I need to learn more about roasts and beans. So like I uh, I make pour over coffee. And so we use grounds and I don't do any like I just buy the raw beans and grind them. I don't do that because that's too much work. And it's I have to buy other stuff and I don't want to. Um, But like there's medium roast, light roast, dark medium, dark and then those give you different flavors. And then I just learned about this double brewing. And I, today I use ice cream instead of milk. I use some milk, but I just put ice cream in there. And then the coffee is pretty good. It's like this thick mixture. It's not really a milkshake completely, but it has this milkshake-esque sort of. It's thicker. 
and it has that coffee flavor because I double brewed it today. Uh, very nice. We haven't talked about anything useful at the moment yet, so we should do that. Uh, and that lesson, though, when I was talking about before, we'll just say it right here at the gate, is that you can't help someone who doesn't want to help themselves. Someone or some of you have learned this the hard way, just as I have. Uh, some of you have come across this lesson, but stubbornly refused to learn it, just as I used to. <laughs> Uh, and I've been there, trust me. Uh, one, others of you have really tried helping anyone or talking to someone about getting help and you've never come across this. Maybe there's a chance that everyone you talk to about getting help were super receptive to the idea. There's also a chance that you just don't really, you never focus your energy on helping people. That's also cool. We all have our different things. And so not everyone's up to that. It's hard, honestly. And it's extremely a sucky situation. It just sucks every time this happens. There's a ton of people out there that have an issue. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's alcoholism, a physical or a mental illness. Uh, and they refuse to get help or be helped. They refuse detox. They refuse rehab. They refuse to see a doctor. They refuse to help themselves. And seeing this happen, especially to someone you care about, is awful. It will make you mad sad and all around feel bad i hope you like that rhyme but that, that was a good one it can really suck and you see this person that you care about obliterate their health and you're thinking about what you can do to do something about it or even just like get them to realize that they should do something about it uh, but the lesson is really important it's one that doctors probably learn pretty often and you know especially just through experience and it sucks uh, and a lot of times the thing is that other than how it makes you feel which we'll talk about in a minute uh, this really does hold uh, the first step in helping yourself is wanting to help yourself that's always step one if someone doesn't think they have a problem, then in their reference frame, they don't have a problem. I know people that I've helped for like years. I helped them for like multiple years because of how much they went through and working through everything took a long time. And for these people, one of them, they went through a lot of things. They've seen loved ones of theirs die. They, they've seen like, they've been through a lot. And the first question I asked them before I ever tried to help them with anything at all. I heard them out. I listened to them. I asked questions. But when I actually like would, before I gave them anything to do or, or had like actually helped walk through and work through the issues, the first question was, do you want to be happy? And I've t talked about this before, but that question, I know it seems stupid, but it's really important because that lets me know if someone actually wants to go forward with the things in their life and get better and work on it. Because there's a chance that they can't say yes in good faith to that question, in which case I can't do anything for them. And I know that. And at this point, I've learned not to waste my time trying. And so that's a problem, right? If someone, you know, doesn't think they have a problem, but they, you know, they're harming their health. Again, it's a reference frame thing to them. Technically, they don't have a problem, right? And if they say they don't, I mean, some people can really argue, do they have a problem then? It's very rare that very, very rare that someone will accidentally do things that help their state or their issues, right? Like it's not like someone who's overweight and doesn't think it's an issue will just start walking around the neighborhood because it looks nice, nice outside or something, right? Like it's possible. Yeah, uh, completely. 
but it's just not very likely at all. It's probably not going to happen. A lot of times their negative behavior prevent positive ones, especially since you think you have, or especially if you think you don't have a problem, like really, really, really deep down in there, I think, or at least I want to think, I had an episode about that, that everyone knows what's going on within them. I, I want to believe that, like somewhere deep down. Admitting that, accepting that, that's the hard part for some people. Uh, but like when you say overweight, you are less likely to start exercising uh, because then you're solving the problem, right? Like if, you, if you're unwilling to admit that you have a problem, you wouldn't need to exercise, right? If you, if you didn't think that you were overweight, maybe you'd say, I don't need to exercise, right? Obviously, that's not true. Exercise in itself, regardless of the weight benefits, some people are going in there to gain muscle, right? But regardless of what you would do exercise for, it's healthy in terms of just your cardiovascular fitness and keeping it up, right? So uh, even if it's not the gym, like taking walks, running, et cetera, just for your heart health and your lung health, it's, doesn't matter how fat or you are or aren't. That's not the problem. But just doing the exercise is good for you in a, a number of ways. And that's why you should exercise, really. I mean, obviously, if you're overweight, like myself, then, you know, that's, that's another reason. But generally, even if you are a healthy person who's not overweight, maybe you have a good metabolism, good genetics, whatever, uh, you know, even then, exercise is good just uh, in the nature of what it is. But that's the hard part for some people, admitting uh, admitting that they, you know, the thing going on within them, right? So like I said, I think deep down everyone knows, but admitting that, accepting that, that's that's really tough a lot of the time. But, you know, again, when you say overweight, you're less likely to start exercising, you're starving the problem. Uh, but that meant, because that would mean that you're admitting to the fact that you have a problem or are admitting to the fact that in this case, you're overweight. And a lot of people are really stubborn. Uh, people refuse to admit when they're wrong. They refuse to concede something that may make them seem weak or may open themselves up to being judged. Why are people more likely to be stubborn about these things than accepting? Because of a great thing called identity protective cognition, the inconsistency, avoidance, tendency, pain avoidance, and you know the backfire effect. And the fact that the same part of your brain that feels physical pain is the same one in, in, that's involved and in, that turns on when you're rejected or in this case, told you're wrong. Uh, overall, people want to avoid pain more than anything. And a lot of times, although it seems really stupid and looking at it from the outside, the pain of admitting you're wrong or admitting you have a problem seems more painful than the actual you're facing. It, it you know, it seems that way to us. Our brains are not exactly always wired in some super optimal, incredible way. Uh, and this is one of those situations for reason, right? It came from, came from something. And look, sometimes people aren't ready. Sometimes you really do need some time before you want to get better. Take grief, for example. Sure, someone like me, a brick wall, a robot, very logical dude, engineer, I might say that the quicker you get over something, the quicker you can move on with your life. But I understand that it's not that simple for everyone. Not everyone's a brick wall. And a lot of times you do need some time after someone, say, passes away, or even if you get depressed, it, it's not easy to merely, quote, want to feel better, end quote, or at least that quickly. It, it takes some time sometimes. Usually that comes when you become really tired, you know, when something breaks more or less, that's when you, when the pain of that issue 
that you're going through becomes so apparent that you can't deny it any further, that's generally when people want to get better. When it gets to like a point and it's just like, it's really like they can't function. Like they very, they can see just in front of their eyes. They can't deny it that they, they're just not functioning in the same way they used to. Um, and, uh, and they have no other excuse. But yeah, if it breaks you, that's, you know, when the pain that you're going through now is worse than the perceived pain of rejection, that's generally when people will admit it, right? Because then that threshold of fear of, you know, fear of rejection goes away. It's psychology's fun. The next part of this is denial, uh, which we already talked about a little bit, uh, but a lot of people deny that they have an issue completely. Uh, more than simply not being able to help someone when they don't want to be helped, sometimes they completely disregard the fact that they have an issue at all. And we point this out because it's not always the case. A lot of times people know that they have an issue, they just don't want to do anything to fix it. Is it weird? Yes. Does it make sense? Not really. Have I been there? For sure. Does it make any more sense? Nope. It probably goes back to identity protective cognition. A lot of times we become so engrossed in something, depression, drugs, or something of the sort. And what happens is that we spend so much of our time and lives with this thing that we become incredibly afraid of what our lives look without that thing. Admittedly, saying, I don't want to get better because I didn't know who I would be if I wasn't depressed is not only extremely edgy, but very, very cringy. Uh, But it makes sense. A lot of people place incredible value and importance on their sense of self. And if they can't ascertain who they'll be after something happens, they're not going to be very likely to go about that thing. For this too, the way that people usually get over this is when the pain gets bad enough that they don't care anymore what the cost will be or what they'll be like. When the pain reaches a certain threshold, which varies from person to person, that threshold varies from person to person, then it doesn't matter anymore what will happen to that sense of self because it's already been so shaken. And and then you'll be really going to change. You'll do what it takes. I think that for people who aren't in denial, but rather they're, they merely aren't ready for help, they can be a lot more open to being convinced. But even then, you can't help these people if they don't want to be helped. Even if you think you can, even if you give them breathing exercises or something, some they might do them. It's possible. A lot of times they won't. But they might. Um, but a lot of times, especially for mental things, so like mental exercises, uh, even if research says that it will help, uh, they won't work if they like those mental exercises, the breathing exercises, they might work a little bit because there is a physiological component to it that just happens. But a lot of times they won't work the same because placebo can work either way, right? If you believe something's going to work, it will work. We've seen that. We've showed that on this podcast through tons of different like manners of evidence. And we've talked about it many times. And uh, maybe one day I'll, I'll, I'll go look through some of the literature there and give a deeper dive into that. But we've talked about placebo. However, placebo not only can make things work, but it can go the other way, right? It can make things not work. If you're told this pill will do nothing and it is supposed to do something, it will do nothing, right? It's, it's the negative consequence. Uh, and so that's a chance. So if you do these breathing exercises and you don't want it to help you, then it won't right? Like there's, again, to to one extent it might. And sometimes that that little, that little bit is good enough. But 
Uh, if you don't want it, it won't. And that's the, that's the problem with mental stuff, right? For exercise, that's physiological. You can probably dilute it a little bit by not caring or not wanting it or, or negative placeboing yourself. But generally, like you're moving your body, those muscles are going to, like they're going to rip. The microfracture is going to happen. All these things are going to happen. Like it doesn't matter how much you want it or not, right? Like you can't placebo yourself out of a broken arm. But uh, I, exercise won't break your arm. Fine. Uh, maybe it will. Uh, but uh, where was I? Uh, yeah. If they don't want to do something, even if they kind of work the... Yeah. Again, the other point is that even if you give them these exercises and tell them to do these things and they do it, and it does help them a little bit, even if it does there's a much higher probability at a relapse and that can go for way more than just drugs. Like even depression and stuff, you can reach a high point, but then go straight back down just in a day, less than a day. Um, in which case that's bad, right? you use a lot of progress and then it all regresses. It's not to say that the progress was useless because just having climbed up the stairs one time makes it a lot easier to do it another time and it gives you a proof of concept. But you know, then, then of course, again, there's denial. Uh, we already talked about this one, like I said, but of course, this is when you refuse the fact that you have an issue. Like I said earlier, I believe that everyone somewhere deep inside them is aware of the issue, is aware of every issue, also a little bit aware of the solution, to be honest. It's just that facing it and or admitting it is really hard for some people. Uh, you know, if you want to get into denial, there's different contexts in which denial exists. Sometimes it's trauma based, sometimes, it's, you know, but for the in the case of like, general mental problems in a non like, you really just need to go to a doctor level of problems, then, you, you know, for like depression, anxiety, like if you have schizophrenia, psychosis, that's a bit different. If you have cancer or a, a, like a, a disease, that's a bit different. Go see your doctor. No breathing exercise. <laughs> you know, breathing exercise probably won't help you. Maybe, I mean, they can a little bit, but, you know, uh, these are non-medically, uh, how would you say, non-medically, you don't need to waste a hospital bed on some issues, right? These are, That's the issues that we're really discussing here in terms of saying you do or don't have, I guess, honestly, addiction is, is more of an issue, but yeah. You get the point, all right? I don't need to sit here and try to and qualify everything. You guys have brains. Uh, the last part here is the part that everyone who learned this lesson in their lives wishes they could know the answer to. That is, what can you do about this? What can you do when someone doesn't want to get help or be helped? And that's something that I looked into. I found other solutions, but uh, give me a moment. And then there's, I will just read the script. I'll split this into de the denial case and the non-denial case. Generally, what's the truth for both of them though, starting with just both cases. And this is the most important lesson that needs to be learned in tandem when you learn that you, when you finally understand that you can't help someone that doesn't want to help or that doesn't want to help themselves or that doesn't want help at all. This lesson that I will... There, there's another lesson that needs that should be learned with that one, but a lot of times it's not, and it causes you a lot of pain. And so, what this one is, is regardless of what happens to someone, if they do not want to be helped, it is not your fault. 
if you know an addict, an addict that overdoses after you continuously urge them to get help, if you did everything you could and the problem was that they didn't want assistance, then it is not your fault. Whether they are or aren't in denial, if someone doesn't want help and something happens to them because they didn't ever seek help, it is not your fault. And you should never, ever hold yourself to that. That guilt, like it can eat at the helpers of the situation, the people that want to help the, the other person, the, the one that has an issue. We all, yeah. And I think one day that it would actually be really good to talk about the helpers, but this guilt, that's not your guilt to bear. It's not your fault. You didn't do anything wrong. There was nothing you could have done at all. If someone didn't want help, it's not your fault. You, they're like, you can't magically change their minds. We don't have that technology yet. You can't do anything. You can ask, you can plead, you can beg for God's sake, but if they don't want it, they don't want it. It doesn't matter. Even if they agree to it, even if they agree to say rehab or something, if they come out and they didn't care, they're going to start using. It doesn't matter what rehab does. Every now and then there's a chance that they go in not expecting a change and it does, but the, the probably those too low for that. But nothing, the, their actions are not your fault. A lot of times if there's someone close to you, their actions can have consequences on your life. Yes, that's possible. And whenever that happens, it's really depressing and that sucks. But it's not your fault. It might end up being your responsibility if, again, they shatter something in your life and you have to pick up the effing pieces. But it's not your fault. And generally, it's not your responsibility. It, like, it's up to them. It's their life. It's their choices. You have to respect that and you have to respect them for what they did. Uh, even if you don't respect the actions and even if you don't agree with the things they said, did, or or, or how they didn't listen. And it's fine to be angry at them. That makes sense, to be honest. But it's not your fault, right? Don't That guilt is not yours to bear. Don't hold on to it. There's like, there's no way that you can ever make that guilt go away because it's not meant to be yours. It's not meant to be your guilt. Like it's not, it's not there's no solution that you can do to, to deal with it. The solution is never feel it in the first place. It's not yours. Throw it away. I know you can feel bad. I know you can feel bad. Trust me, I've been there but it's not your fault. It's not up to you. It's not as as crude as it may sound, as uncouth as it may sound. It's not your problem. You you can only do what you can do. And the other thing is, I, I mean, you could probably be a bit annoying. This one's a bit more controversial. This one doesn't always work at all uh, because it might make the person not want to talk to you. Or even worse, it'll make them think that if they do admit they have an issue or they say they want assistance, you'll give them the patented I told you so. Uh, even if you won't, uh, you don't want to make them afraid that you will. You don't want to make them be afraid of judgment. So persistence, or more specifically annoyance, uh, is you have to be very careful with it. It has to be done in a very non-judgmental manner uh, in, in a way as possible, right? So you have to make them know like, this is what I want and I'm going to make sure you understand my opinions and I'm going to tell you my opinions. But at the end of the day, like, you know, I'm not going to change the way I treat you regardless. It's just that I really wish you would do this. But, uh, and that applies for both cases, really just don't be annoying and rude and mean. That doesn't really work, but being persistent, uh, it might help a little bit, right? You plant a seed in someone's brain and you keep watering and keep watering and it might help sprout something at some point. You know, you want to make sure they get 
tired of your nagging in a way that makes them want to change and listen to you or you don't want to make them get tired of your nagging in a way that doesn't make them want to talk to you anymore because then you can't do anything at all all of your power completely out the window then uh, and and also you'd lose someone uh, both both of which kind of aren't good now we'll start with the people in denial we'll start with the denial case if someone is in denial your best bet is trying to probably create a situation where like we said earlier it's very hard to deny the fact that there's a problem it's just there's some situations that can transpire that someone like will open their eyes and be like wow yeah i can't really blame this on anything else now can i um now i say that you should create a situation But honestly, this isn't a situation that can be created very easily because honestly, these situations are the ones where people dance the line between life and death normally. And this, this is, uh, this, this, yeah, right. So a drug addict will admit they have a problem when they overdose and, you know, they're like brought back with Narcan or something. A depressed person will admit, you know, they have a problem when they're close to actually inflicting harm upon themselves or others. You know, you get the point. Obviously, there's a lot of times that it's too late by this point, right? So sometimes, um, if you know Kevin Hines, he's a big uh, mental health advocate. He was uh, someone who jumped off the Golden State Bridge, and now he goes around preaching, um, you know, mental health and, and awareness for that stuff. And in his story, he said that the moment his feet cleared the railing, he regretted his decision. He didn't want to die anymore. He was very, very wanting to live. Um, but at that point, for him super lucky the guy like complete recovery like he's really fit and he he obviously has a great message and he has a great life where he's trying his best to help people but um it could have been the case and it probably is for a number of i think the golden gate bridge actually has a net under it now so jumping off is actually considerably harder now but uh, before that net was installed a lot of people jumped off that bridge and how many other people felt the same thing he did and lived very few if you you know what? We'll, we'll go over it. Do you know what happens when you jump off that bridge, the Golden Gate Bridge, and I'm sure many other bridges, if there's not rocks at the bottom, just looking at the distance from the Golden Gate Bridge to the water under it, the, your probability of living is very low. A, you fall and you hit the water, and the moment you hit the water, every single one of your bones will shatter. All of them will break inside of your body. And if that doesn't obliterate, it's basically like falling on concrete. Like it's, it might be water. You might think it's water, but no. Like when they were working on the Golden Gate Bridge, they would tell the workers, if you fall, by some chance, take your hammer and throw it at the water because it'll break the surface tension and then you will be landing in water. It's not like Minecraft where you can land in a one by one block of water from any distance and be okay. For this one, it is a, it's like, surface tension is tough especially from that distance that thing it is basically like landing on concrete so imagine landing on concrete now there is a chance that that's not going to get you that doesn't murder you at all and you're you break through the water all of your bones are shattered now what do all of those shattered bones do they're pretty sharp now they will pierce every single one of your internal organs and now you have internal bleeding and all of your organs are pierced and if that somehow doesn't kill you then you drown because obviously everything's pierced and broken. And like, it's just, even if you know how to swim, it's really hard to swim when everything's broken. And so it's not a very fun way to go. If you, especially if you don't go on impact, it's like, it's bad. Um, that might all get cut out. I have no idea. Uh, might get cut out of the video version. YouTube. Does, I don't think YouTube would like that. Uh, um, 
But yeah, like I said, obviously there's a lot of times where it's too late by then and it sucks. Uh, the only other thing is that uh, when white, no, the only, the other thing is what I said previously. Oh, that's not what I want. Get back here. Script, species, went to sleep. Where am I? Uh, make sure that they feel like you won't see them any differently uh, when or if they do admit to anything or admit to whatever their issue is. Make sure they understand that they won't be judged. They won't be given an, um, not an unironic, I told you. So I think, you know, some people have relationships where saying I told you so would be funny and everyone would laugh. But uh, like for me, people that know me, like they know I'm going to say I told you so, but I'm not going to mean anything by it. It's just a joke. But, you know, make sure that they feel like they won't be seen any differently or treated any differently. And people don't want to be treated differently. Um, they don't want pity. They don't want you to be nicer or meaner. They just want you to be as you are, generally. Uh, every now and then, you have to be a bit nicer, but it's different. So just make sure they feel comfortable all the time. As for people who aren't in denial, honestly, for these people, again, make sure they feel accepted and loved regardless of anything. And that's probably a big piece of advice. And here we need to take a more cognitive approach. Honestly, we need to, and I think this is a strange but right way to put it. We need to pitch the idea of getting better to them. Our goal is to convince them to get better. We need to market the idea to them. Uh, to convince them that they'll be better off if they work on their juju and if than if they don't. And a lot of times this is dealing with that issue of making sure that their fears and apprehensions are addressed, right? So if you pitch a marketing thing, if you pitch a new product, one of the parts, one aspect of that pitch will be um, addressing potential drawbacks and addressing potential fears and apprehensions, uh, like even in product marketing, right? I'm, I'm doing my product management class right now. Uh, and any fear of, you know, not knowing who they'll become if they change or, you know, not knowing what will happen, being afraid of risks for physical illnesses. It's fully possible that treatment may come with physical risks, but we need to convince them that those physical risks are better than, I don't know, say dying. Yeah. Uh, in the end, remember that nothing is your fault. Again, I'm just going to harp on that again. Uh, above everything, above all of that, honestly, for every case here, love, sympathy, and acceptance of someone is the best thing you can do for them. At least I believe that. Again, I harp on this point. Do not make them feel pressured uh, or make them too upset. And sometimes it might work, but the probability isn't high enough that it can be recommended. You can do it very surgically in a very specific way. If you know someone well enough, you can hit certain thresholds and, and dance a few lines, but that takes, that's, I, that's not something I can teach um, because it's, it's very person to person and it's not universal and it's really hard and it's just not recommended. Don't do it. Don't try it. It's a bad idea. And honestly, it will probably cause the opposite to happen, but uh, it just love and acceptance will always work better in helping someone change than hatred and vitriol. That's just in my experience, at least change for the better. Some people get super motivated when someone says they can't do something, but, and you know what, if that reverse psychology works for the person you're dealing with, you can give it a shot. Uh, but you know, caring about someone and just making sure that you accept them for who they are at all times, that'll, That'll help them be way more okay with being different. Like if even if they think that um, 
going through with solving their issues will make them a different person. If they know that you're going to accept them regardless of who they are, then that it doesn't really matter, right? They could change as much as they want. And as long as you see them the same and treat them the same, if, if they're really close to you and they really like you, then, um, that, that, that's all, that's sometimes all it'll take just caring. Uh, the last thing I'll say is that it is technically possible to manipulate someone into wanting them, wanting to help themselves. Uh, it has arguable ethics, right? Because on one hand, you're making someone want to help themselves. On the other hand, manipulation is never really seen in high light. And teaching someone how to do this may have some very negative consequences. That's not something that I will be teaching here because I don't, because it's, uh, it is a very neutral power that can be used for very good things, but it can also be used for very bad things. And I don't want the, I don't want to give any manner of opportunity for the latter at all. So I'm not going to be talking about that here or probably ever. That's just not something to put out in public in my opinion. So I, I just don't want to do that. At least not at this moment. Cause I don't think I have the capacity to do it in a way that I think would do it justice. And, keep it safeguarded against negative usage. Uh, but it's not something that should be attempted at all to, for most people, really 99.9% of people. It's just, it's a bad idea. No one should do it, honestly. Uh, I, I, it's just, yeah, it is also, it is possible that if someone is forced into a treatment, for example, rehab, maybe they can find their drive to change there. It's possible because they realize that it's fine if they get clean. But again, it's a possibility, but it's not a given at all. Uh, and I'm just I'm just going to try to cover all the bases. So forcing someone into change, that's... If you're a parent, technically you... If your kid's under 18, you can, put them, you can force them into rehab. Maybe that's a move. I don't know if that is. It might make them trust you less. I. It's really hard to argue that one because you flip a coin every time unless you're extremely massive brain and you know how everyone's going to react to everything. But, you know, generally love, acceptance. It's not your fault. Uh, try to get in front of people. Be persistent in a very non-judgmental way. Those are going to be the general advice that I'll give if you come across this situation. Um, but... You know, speaking of covering bases, I started reading Oyasumi Pun Pun. It's uh, it's not bad. It's pretty, it's pretty solid. Yeah, built the PC. You already saw that. Uh, I started my summer marketing class, which is uh, it's not very hard at all. I'm maybe it's because it just started. I've been through two classes, and it's Memorial Day on Monday, so uh, no class. But overall, not bad. There's going to be a project which will be like the biggest thing in the class, and I don't think it'll be rough. And the the material is pretty simple to grasp it all makes sense there's some things that are really simple but it's just remembering to do those things or i think like the biggest thing that we're being taught here so like he said in the professor said in class uh, for chapter two which was like um, a business strategy like marketing strategy a lot of companies just don't do this they don't sit down and make a strategy they're always just like trying to do stuff without a plan at all and i mean a lot of companies do well right like it works it's just that it's less efficient and it makes it so you're uh your your potential is not met, right? So your potential increase in revenue and your potential increase in uh, profit or your potential increase in conversions, whatever your goal is, they're just not met in, in the, the manner that they could be met. 
it without the planning. And, you know, we know this with like to-do lists and stuff, right? I used to not be into it, uh, but I, or like writing an outline for your essays or something. There are times when, yeah, sometimes you just got to do it, whatever. Like if, if it's small enough, is like if it's not that big an issue, you're, waste, you're going to waste way more time to try to like make an outline, make a plan. But generally, if you're doing bigger projects and obviously at a company, they're all big projects, you should be planning these things out. It makes everything easier for everyone. It knows, it lets everyone know where to go. It lets everyone know what to look for and what to look at. They know what's important, what's not important. And so it helps a lot of things. But remembering like doing it, it's honestly like really simple. Make a plan, look at your target audience. How are you going to do that? How do you bring value to these different people? Makes sense. All makes sense. It's just like, remember to do it. That's the biggest thing. Um, and obviously that you can do it well, you can do it bad, but uh, yeah, anyways, PC, very colorful, very speedy marketing class. Not bad. It plays Genshin like a charm. Big shout out to my friend who helped me build it. It means a lot to me, buddy. If you're listening or watching this, uh, I, yeah, big, big, big happy with it. I really hope that when school starts, it doesn't completely make it. So I'm, I'm busy and I can't use it, but, um, marketing class is pretty chill, uh, and I have a video out on sleep deprivation when you see this. And I also should have a video out on notion properties, which I will be editing in a day or two. And, uh, what else we got? Uh, yeah, properties. Hopefully by the time that you're watching this, both of those videos are out. Honestly, I should have said something about the sleep deprivation video in the last episode, but I forgot, but it's out. It was out two weeks ago out right now. At least I think so. Maybe I should go check. I, I checked. It's out. Um, But yeah, thank you for listening and or watching this episode. I will talk at you next week. Much love. Get help. Peace.